next speaker um, could not really be on a more different subject, but um, Laura Maitlam is a mudlarker and she spends her life fossicking, if that is the right word, around on the banks of rivers like the Thames and finding things that literally the tide and the river have brought in. She's going to tell us now about some of those things and their stories and their origins. She's the author of a couple of books, Mudlarking, Lost and Found on the River Thames was her first book. And that was a huge bestseller, a Sunday Times bestseller. And now she has gone on to write A Field Guide to Larking, which is something that all of us could uh, acquire and go out. This is a fantastic pastime because it is available to everyone. It's completely free. All you have to do is check the Tide Times, as far as I know, for the Thames. So, Laura, thank you so much for being with us and over to you. Thank you very much, Rosie. Um, yes, a completely different topic now. Um, I'm Laura and I'm a mudlark, which sounds a little bit like a confession. And um, indeed it is. It's, a, it's an obsession for me and uh, I'm going to do a little bit just to explain what it's about and, and why I love it so much, why, why I spend all my time down on the River Thames. So mudlarking is basically searching the bed of the River Thames for lost and forgotten objects and the River Thames in London really is the best place in the world to do it. I always say that um, if the Seine in Paris was tidal or you could get down into it you would find loads of stuff but you can't um, because the thing that makes the Thames so special is its tides. Twice a day the water drops, it takes six hours to come up and six and a half hours to flow out and it falls low enough for you to get down onto the bed of the actual river to look around for the objects that have been lost, the uh, casual losses, the offerings um, and rubbish that have been thrown in over 2000 years of intense human habitation. I mean, London's really only there because um, of the Thames, the Romans uh, founded their, their um, trading port there. Um, it became a, a port for the world, the, the centre of an empire. It's been a busy highway. People have lived along it. And all of this has contributed to the amount of stuff that has just gone into the river. Um, now, of course, the River Thames or the Tidal Thames isn't just that little East Enders wiggle through central London that we all think about. Um, it's actually 160 kilometres long. It starts at Teddington up in West London and it ends out on the estuary. And it's a very different beast wherever you go down onto the river. And I mudlark right from, the, from, the, from Teddington right out to the estuary. In Teddington, it's green and bucolic. It's beautiful. It's, it's slow enough and gentle enough to be able to go um, pond dipping with a net if you've got kids. Uh, out on the estuary, there is just miles and miles and miles of thick, deep mud. It's real Dickens land, Dickens country, where, um, where Magwitch crawled through the, the mud away from his prison ship. Um, and each stretch has its own character and variety. Uh, you know, depending where you're searching, you're going to find different things. At Rotherhithe, you're going to find uh, objects that have been part of boat building, uh, where it was where the boats were built and where they were torn apart. And this has all fallen into the mud. In central London, that's where you get the most variety of things because that's where people have lived and worked and, and traveled for 2000 years. And really every tide is different. It delivers something new. So the river really is just this great, big, lucky dip. And um, 
the, the next slide's already gone up. That's me in my element. That's me being a mudlark. And in my hand is a 2000, well, it's over 2000 year, years old. It's an Iron Age pot, a complete Iron Age pot I found sitting on top of the mud out in the estuary. You can see I had to crawl through quite a lot of mud to find it. Um, perfectly preserved by the mud because it was cocooned beautifully in the mud. And the mud is also preserves things perfectly because it's anaerobic. There's no oxygen gets into the Thames mud. So it preserves things like leather and even fabric and wood and, uh, and, um, and all those sort of organic objects that would just rot away in soil, in fields. Um, and it's perfectly preserved. So you can find the most incredible things. Um, now I am really just the most recent in, a, in an incarnation, in a long line of scavengers that um, have worked the River Thames and picked things up. Um, the Henry Mayhew, uh, he was a uh, Victorian social commentator in the mid 1800s. He really wrote very beautifully and evocatively about the mudlarks, describing the old women and children, the most society's most poor and vulnerable, who went down, armies of them that went down onto the Thames foreshore to wade around in the mud, which was really just raw sewage back then because the, the river was just a giant cesspit with the, all of the city's muck going into it, dead animals, goodness knows what. And they would wade around without any shoes on, looking for anything they could use or sell. They were looking for bones and rags and coal, copper nails if they were lucky and bits of rope, anything they could sell to keep themselves out of the workhouse because actually the workhouse was such a shameful and horrific place to go. Mudlarking was a better option, but it's not just a Victorian phenomena. I think there's probably always been river scavengers on the Thames for as long as there's people and been people poor enough and desperate enough to do it and objects to find. I think people have always been down there looking for things. But the very first written record of mudlarks was by a man called Patrick Calhoun. Now he founded a police force on the Thames to protect the West India merchant ships that lay in anchor just off the, off the um, edge of the river, waiting to unload their valuable cargoes of rum and sugar and spices. And in his 1796 book, A Treatise on the Police of the Metropolis, he described gangs, colourfully named gangs of criminals that preyed on the West India ships. There were lightermen, scuffle hunters, heavy horsemen, river pirates, and at the bottom of this list of miscreants are the mudlarks. Now the mudlarks, they hung around, they lurked around in the mud, around the ship's hulls, waiting for packages of spice and sugar and bladders of rum to be thrown off the ships by all these other criminals that broke on, broke into the ships. And they'd convey them off to the, uh, to the taverns of Rotherhide and, and Wapping and on into the black market. So mudlarks really have always been the lowest of the low. Uh, but I, I'm not a thief, I, I don't mudlark for survival. Um, I do it to satisfy my obsession with the past. Uh, for me, it's, it's, it's a really unique link with the people of the past, the ordinary people, not the people who made it into history books or got roads named after them or great big statues. These are just the ordinary people, our ancestors, people like you and me who, who really didn't leave any sort of real impact on history. But they're the people who made London and maybe all they've left behind to say that they were ever there is a is a broken cup or a, or a, a, a discarded clothes hook that fell off one day when they were pulling their cloak around them on a cold, windy day on the river. And it's this 
incredible link with the past, this intimate link with London's past that really makes me feel almost like a time traveller sometimes when I'm down on the river, bending down and picking something up that I know nobody's touched since the last person that dropped it or threw it away, maybe even 2000 years ago, um, is just the most incredible, incredible feeling. And that's when I get my hit. Um, it's not the collecting the objects because you never really own these objects. You're just a, you're just a custodian. You're the next custodian in, the, in this long line of people. Um, and it gives me a great sense of, uh, connect, of comfort, this, this connection to the past. Um, and it's something I've been doing for 20 years. It's been my escape from the city. I grew up uh, on a farm. I was quite a solitary child. Um, and I moved to the city. I was looking for that sort of solitude and that empty space in the city. And I tried the parks. Uh, they didn't really do it for me. And then one day I was down on the river and I found the river. And I think a lot of people in London really don't see the river. They stop seeing it. It's something that just is there. It just exists. It's something annoying to get across. Um, and you, you just don't really notice it. But it's actually the most wonderful place to get away from the city, uh, to get back in touch with nature. It's a streak of nature. You can feel the weather on your face. There's no... There's no uh, um, buildings to stop the rain and the wind and it's so peaceful um, and actually mudlarking itself the act of doing something and nothing is a great meditation it's being beside moving water that takes your troubles away doing something that occupies you that doesn't tax your mind that you can just let your mind go and forget your troubles is the most incredible thing um, if we could just see the next next slide please um, so they, so what can you find? You never know what you're going to find next. That's the that's the that's the obsessional thing that keeps me coming back. Um, I don't dig. I don't use a metal detector. Um, I have a great respect for the foreshore for its fragility, and I only collect what the river chooses to deliver on a tide and leave on the surface. So in in essence, it's it's what's there on one tide and gone on the next. Um, and of course, I should say you do need a permit from the Port of London Authority to go mudlarking. I've got one of those. They're really easy to apply for. You just go online, go to the Port of London Authority website and you can apply for one there. Um, and I report my objects to the, port the Portable Antiquity Scheme, which is part of the British Museum, which is also really important. Um, so mudlarking responsibly is a, is a really important part of mudlarking. Um, and uh, the objects that you'll find that are really just the ordinary things, ordinary things owned by ordinary people, the things that maybe they threw away, uh, that they dumped into the river. The river has been a great rubbish dump over the years and uh, some things got in because people dumped them. Some people, uh, they dropped things, they're casual losses. Um, other things that were thrown in on purpose, uh, wedding rings. We still find modern wedding rings and people have been throwing away love tokens for generations. Um, offerings, religious offerings, lots of religious offerings going right back to the Bronze Age, uh, medieval times, uh, Roman times, even today, uh, Hindus these days, they still revere the river. They, they use it as a substitute for the Ganges. And here are some of the things I have found. Um, the oldest objects you can find on the river are obviously fossils, um, preserved creatures that are millions of years old. Uh, the oldest uh, human-made objects, Mesolithic flints, just below the fossil on the top left-hand corner, which is a fossilized urchin. These are uh, Mesolithic flints. So those are thousands and thousands of years old, you know, London's first Londoners. Um, in the center, that's a Tudor shoe. Now that uh, is an example of anaerobic preservation. I pulled that out of the river as perfect as the day it went in. And when I looked inside, I could see just the impression of its original little owner's toes 
and heal. And of course, all of these objects, they, they, they leave great questions. Um, you know, how did they end up there? Who owned them? Um, you know, why did they get there? Um, if we could see the next slide. And there are some more objects here. Uh, scary, creepy things, a glass eye, that gave me, really gave me the creeps looking back at me. Um, a horrible amount of dentures. If it fits down the toilet, it will end up in the river because raw sewage still, unfortunately, does go into the river. Um, a great big barnacle scraped off the bottom of a trade ship. Um, and there's even uh, a colony of seahorses. Sadly, this one was dead by the time I found it outside the, the globe, uh, on the foreshore in front of the globe. But there is a colony of seahorses um, in uh, just around the Isle of Dogs. Uh, if we can see the next slide. So I spend up to six hours at a time staring at the mud, and uh, that really is a lot of thinking time. And I think about the legacy that every generation has left. And I often think about ours, what have we left behind? Now, the poet Philip Larkin said, what will survive of us is love. But uh, sadly, I know from mudlarking that he's wrong. Floating just below the surface is lots and lots of plastic. You might not see it when you're in central London, but it's there. If you look in the rubbish catchers, they're always full. It catches on the bends, and there's actually islands of wet wipes. Wet wipes don't just vanish when you flush them. They end up in rivers, they end up in the sea and in, in the Thames, they're actually creating islands. Our rubbish is changing the geography of the river. Now, while our ancestors rubbish was made of bone and clay and glass, leather and wood, and it will break down harmlessly and essentially return to where it came from, our plastic legacy the legacy that we're leaving in the mud is dangerous and it's here forever. Thank you. Lara, that's wonderful, except that it was a terrible sort of terrible note to end on. And I have to say, I was thinking about that when you spoke about what we now throw away. And um, I was reading somewhere that we were throwing away 13 million masks per second or something across the globe. And you sort of imagine all of them tipping up in the Thames. But it says so much about um, our ancestors, how wonderfully beautifully made everything was. That little shoe is extraordinary. So thank you very, very much for sharing that with us. And please don't let the plastic put people off being a mudlarker themselves, because you can do it. And you can also buy Lara's fantastic book. So do do it and get going.